it is absolutely problem solving more than it is ever having to do with just solely a product. We have millions of chairs on the market, right? You could pick any and all chairs. You're, there are so many options that have flooded the market. But again, what is going to solve your unique problem and your unique design challenges? I think what every designer is, is asking themselves when they look through and scroll through thousands upon thousands of chair solutions, right? And it's more than just chairs. Of course, that's, you know, that's all materials. That's all design, you know, building specified objects. In today's episode, I had the privilege to have a conversation with Kaylin Reed with Kimball International. Now, Kaylin and I talk a little bit about her story and her journey into our industry. And then we talk about her podcast. Yes, Kaylin is a fellow podcaster and the host of the Alternative Design Podcast, sponsored by Kimball International. We also talk for a few minutes about transparency in material, which is a really important conversation. And I invite you to listen to Kaylin's story as she talks about sick building syndrome and the impact that it had on her and her life and her career. I hope that you enjoy today's conversation. And thanks for being the best part of our community. The Trend Report is proudly sponsored by Indeal University, Indeal's exclusive platform for education and learning within the commercial interiors industry, offering live and on-demand courses to support the growth of your employees and the growth of your business. To learn more about Indeal U, please visit their website at learning.indeal.org. I'm Sid Meadows, and I'm a certified professional coach, and my focus is on high performance and growth and helping my clients move into action. I'm a personal and professional development junkie, an avid podcast listener and reader. My passion is all things contract interiors. In this podcast, I'm going to provide you with information, education, ideas, and tools to help you in your personal life, your business, and our industry. So let's have some fun and welcome to the Trend Report Podcast. Welcome to the Trend Report. I'm glad you're here today. And I know this is going to be a fun and fascinating conversation with our guest today, Kaylin Reed. Kaylin, please take a moment and introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. My name is Kaylin Reed. I am the host of the Alternative Design Podcast and a regional workplace advisor for Kimball International. Well, Kaylin, I'm really glad you're here. I've listened to your podcast. We connected, gosh, back in March. Uh, you sat on a panel that I was moderating. And so I appreciate the opportunity to have the opportunity to have a discussion with you. And so I would like to just get to know you a little bit and let our listeners get to know you a little bit. So my first question is, how'd you get into the office furniture business? Oh, man. So I was in design for about six years, um, commercial interiors, and I did all sorts of different verticals, everything from workplace design to hospitality, really loved the exposure that I got. And it took me about a year of going out to lunches with, you know, reps and with different folks that were in sales, um, particularly furniture sales, and just asking questions, you know, do you like your job? And the more I I was at this crossroads in my mid-20s of, you know, where do I want my career to go? The more I realized that I love the people part of it. I love presenting. I love having great conversations like this with awesome people like you. And so to me, I thought, well, sales would give me an opportunity to just do this all the time. I just get to be around people all the time and I get to have great conversations and um, take people to lunch. And, you know, it's obviously much more than that, but it's obviously a nice fringe benefit for sure. But it was really something that was very people motivated for me. And so I dove right in and my boss took a really big chance 
on me in terms of uh, transferable skills. I really had to pitch that interior design is sales, right? I'm, I'm pitching my pro or my project. I'm pitching my design every time I go to a client meeting. And so I, my boss took a risk and took a chance on me and it's been a great experience. So I've been doing this now for, I'm coming up on my two year anniversary. So you're really new into the sales world. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> comparing it to being an interior designer, how do you like it? I love it. I think that the strategy part that I get to be a part of and the influence just in the design industry in general, I think that was something I thought I would lose by going on this path. And it, I couldn't say more the opposite. It's truly been such a fun opportunity to still stay in the industry and still stay really connected. And even just the opportunity of having, you know, a podcast to, to become a thought leader and to explore all these different nooks and crannies of our design industry. It's so much more than what I, I ever did being a practicing designer. So, you know, I think that designers make some of the best salespeople. I what agree more. <laughs> yeah, what I'm curious about from your perspective, and a lot of people talk about this, you know, our friend Amanda Snyder wrote an article a couple of years ago about the rise of the dealer designer. There are a lot of people talking about designers stepping into sales and really growing and getting away from sitting in front of a computer, drawing bathroom partitions all day or drawing furniture all day. What words of encouragement, Kaylin, would you give to a designer who's thinking, you know, I'm here at this point in my career, and though I really love design, I'm kind of getting a little stagnant with it. What advice would you give to them to explore the possibility of going into sales as a career option? Absolutely. So I think there is a ton of hope to shape your career and how you want it. But I think that you have to have self-awareness to know what gives you energy, right? What are going to be those green light and red light activities? So if talking to people and client presentations and those kind of collaborative meetings are red light for you where, you know, hey, that drains my energy. I, I don't really enjoy that. Then perhaps a sales position wouldn't be as appropriate. But if you really love uh, personal interactions and you love people and, you know, love being able to present concepts and ideas and being a thought leader, I think this is a great, great opportunity to stay connected in the industry and be able to pursue something that you really love. But again, it would take that self-awareness of really knowing yourself and, and knowing what it is that you, you know, really enjoy and, and what you want to do. But this has opened so many doors for me that I never thought were even possible when I made the jump. So um, awesome. it's a wild ride. <laughs> it is a crazy ride. Our industry is a crazy ride in and of itself. But I love that you highlighted self-awareness and I'll reframe it just a minute to say, focus on doing, if you're looking for the next step in your career, focus on doing what brings you joy. What is it really that gets you out of bed in the morning that you get super excited about? And I would actually encourage anybody listening, make a list. If you're sitting, regardless of what job that you're in currently, if you're sitting there and you're feeling maybe a little bit unmotivated, not really excited about what you're doing, but you love our industry, start making a list of the things that really get you excited, that really get you out of bed and see what type of career those actually correlate to because it could be sales. It could be project management. It could be customer service. There's so many different options in our industry. So I would encourage you to make that list. Now, I'm going to flip this question for just a minute, okay? What advice would you give to salespeople and to sales leaders about bringing designers into the sales process? Because I think we miss this step a lot and we don't take advantage of the expertise of the designer. So what, did, what would you say to salespeople and sales leaders about engaging the designer in the sales process? 
I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is understanding their proximity to the client, right? So something that we miss as salespeople is that these designers are interfacing with their clients and with a wide range of clients day in and day out. They are the boots on the ground, right? They have the best information when it comes to what are the trends that are coming down the pike, what are the needs of their client, um, how can reps and salespeople best serve them. And so if we're not communicating with them and we're really not taking the time to listen, uh, to authentically listen to, you know, what it is they're bringing us, you know, I think that that's kind of a, a misstep. It's a missed opportunity. So I definitely think understanding and valuing their proximity is, is huge. So, I mean, again, I think I keep getting that proximity question. And I think in terms of really understanding the, the problem in sales, we like to think we know what the problem is and we, we give ourselves the pat on the back that we always understand the problem that needs to be solved. And I think sometimes when we, you know, again, don't take the opportunity to truly listen and, and understand and consult the experts, which I, I believe are designers, um, to really, truly, thoroughly understand the problem that needs to be solved in our industry. And there's, there's a lot of them, right? It's not just product, it's material. It's, you know, um, all sorts of different things in our industry that need to be spoken to. And there's, you know, the industry is ripe for change. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to listen and, and learn from designers who I believe are the experts. So I, I absolutely 100% agree with you. They're the technical expert. Absolutely. They know the space. They know the codes and all these different things. So basically, you said a couple of things here. The first was listen and listen to them. Listen to what they have to say, because as you said, they are the boots on the ground. They do understand the trends. They do know what's happening. They've studied for years to get to where they are, and they have to continue to study to maintain their license and things of that nature. So listen to them. Leverage their expertise because they do bring a different level of expertise to the table than typical salespeople do. So leverage their expertise and then bring them into the discussion of solving the problem. Because I think you just said it perfectly, Kaylin. It's more than selling furniture. We are solving problems for our customers. Our products happen to be the solution or the layout of our products happen to be the solution. But at the end of the day, what we really do is solve business problems and not sell furniture. And unfortunately, I think too much of us, we think, oh, immediately I'm selling product. We're not really selling product. We're selling solutions to business problems of our clients. I see you nodding your head. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It is absolutely problem solving more than it is ever having to do with just solely a product. We have millions of chairs on the market, right? You could pick any and all chairs. You're, there are so many options that have flooded the market. But again, what is going to solve your unique problem and your unique design challenges? I think what every designer is, is asking themselves when they look through and scroll through thousands upon thousands of chair solutions, right? Um, and it's more than just chairs. Of course, that's, you know, that's all materials. That's all design, you know, building specified um, objects. So, yeah. Well, I ran this and the people that have listened to the podcast for a while have heard me talk about this, but I ran this informal exercise, if you will, for several, several months in working with groups. And I would ask salespeople to sell me a chair. And I would say, hey, you know, uh, let's role play here. And I'm the customer and I call you and tell you I need to buy 500 chairs. Well, immediately, what do salespeople do? They go to, well, do you want a mesh back or a upholstery chair? Do you need a task chair? Do you need an executive chair? Do you, is it on carpet or is it on hardwood floors? Do you want a synchro tilt or a swivel tilt? I mean, they start asking all these very technical, specific questions going down a checklist. Most of them never ask the question, well, hey, Mr. Customer, can you explain to me what's going on in your business that is leading you to the need to buy 500 new chairs? 
Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Where is it going? How is it functioning? Because what happens is when we don't ask those types of open-ended questions and engage in a conversation, we miss the opportunity to sell more and to solve more problems because the customer called us about 500 shares. They could be buying 500 workstations or 500 training tables from somebody else, but because you're so focused on the technical aspects of the chair, we forget and we just don't ask the question that leads to a greater opportunity. So I just got on my soapbox there. Sorry. I love it. It's great. I couldn't agree more. So I think we could talk about this for quite a while as a new salesperson, and and I'm going to call myself an OG salesperson, you know, old guard salesperson, because I've been doing it for so long. But I love the fact that you started a podcast, and I would love to really understand your journey into being a podcaster. Tell us a little bit about what Alternative Designs is about, and then I think you've got a new season coming up. So let's talk all things podcasting. Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast began in 2020 in the midst of the pandemic. And being a sales rep myself at that time, I've now moved into you know a slightly different role, but At the time, my job was to create content for designers. And at the time, I was challenged with new and exciting ways to inspire designers who at the time had Pinterest and Instagram at their disposal for for inspiration when the world was in total lockdown and chaos and we had no idea what was going on. And so really the idea came out of the the need to meet designers where they are. And there's a a specific set of designers, myself included, who really enjoyed throwing in, you know, a pair of headphones and being able to listen to a podcast while I was in Revit or in CET. Um, you know, it's not mindless work necessarily, but it's kind of enough clicking and dragging that I could multitask. And I so enjoyed having that inspirational content. And so I was going to do this as a mom and pop project. I happen to have the luxury of a brilliantly minded husband who is an audio producer. And so he produces podcasts for his job. And so this was something I thought, you know, my husband and I will have a great passion project and seven people will listen to it and six of them will be my family members. And really it just, it blew up. And, and, you know, Kimball International said, no, I think there's a great opportunity for this to be you know, really taking off and really having an opportunity for this to be sort of our company voice podcast. And so they took, once again, a really great chance and and a great risk on, you know, making it uh, the Kimball International podcast. But really, the namesake of the podcast comes from kind of a a really dark spot in in my life and and sort of speaks to to who I am as a person a bit. Uh, I had a pretty big health scare several years ago. Um, and it was really intense. I, I was paralyzed halfway down my body. And so um, as a young woman, that was very terrifying, you know, and I think at the time, I didn't really have a lot of mainstream options. I wasn't told by mainstream medicine that there was a lot of hope for me. And so I really had to dig uh, in the margins and in sort of what I call the alternative medicine camp and alternative medicine tribe to really regain my health. And so thankfully, I'm the healthiest I've ever been uh, roughly four years later since going down this path. And the thought occurred to me that what is the opportunity for that to, I guess, when we talk about transferable skills, again, what's the opportunity for this experience that I have to, you know, had to transfer into design? 
Are there conversations in the margins and in the fringes that deserve a better platform and deserve an opportunity to be discussed? Um, and maybe that aren't such the, the hot topics or, or things that are being circulated and everyone's talking about them. Maybe we could interview a microbiologist. Maybe we could interview, you know, Motown Records and understand how their assembly line process could inspire our design process. And so it, sort of blossomed from that notion that, you know, there are really great conversations and nuggets of inspiration that can be had, you know, coming from the margins and from unusual suspects, maybe unlikely suspects. So we do have one season under our belt. We've got eight episodes out now. It has been the most fun, most joyful, fulfilling time in my life, honestly, to be able to do something like this. So your podcast is a lot different than mine, which is great. One of the things that I love about podcasting is the creativity at which we can create our show. Because honestly, Caitlin, it's one of the spaces that there are no rules. You can do whatever you want to do. You can have a comedy show. You can have a serious business show. You can have a news show. You can have a colorful show that's marked explicit for, I mean, there's just, totally. <laughs> there's no rules. And I love the fact that we get to turn on our microphones and our cameras. And in this case, and hit the record button and do what we want to do and share our voice and make an impact in the world the way we want to make an impact. But your show is a lot different than mine because mine's based on conversation. So tell us a little bit about the structure of your show, because when we did our pre-call, I think you referred to it as an NPR style show. So I want to hear about that a little bit. And that is a, a gracious comment. So I, I don't pretend to care, compare my podcast to NPRs at all. But I would say that in the style of NPR, where the goal is to create an arc and a storyline, and they often support that storyline through multiple guests. And so while it's not so much a casual conversation, you'll notice that it's a bit more edited. Um, it can feel possibly even scripted. All the conversations from sometimes three, even four guests an episode are all in support of this overall arc um, or this overall theme of the podcast. And so I'd love to say that that came from this really wonderful idea that I had and that, you know, it was very intentional. I'll be totally honest with you. It came out of me hating the sound of my voice. <laughs> so I immediately got done with my first conversation and, and looked at my husband and said, oh no, oh no. <laughs> that is that people don't understand if you're not a podcaster, it's, it's so hard. really hard to listen to your voice. I actually even for some of our guests, it's hard for them. I had a previous guest on a couple of months ago and I reached out and said, here's the episode. What do you think about it? And he replied back, yes, I can't listen. And I went, why can't you listen? He goes, I can't listen to the sound of my own voice. And I went, nope. oh, that took me about three episodes and I got used to it. And I yes. just like, it's, yes. it is what it is, but it is a little bit of a struggle there. It is. And so we ended up, you know, scripting some things and I was able to re-record basically because I demanded it and was super dramatic. And my husband said, fine, okay. And so, but then once you start rolling downhill, it keeps going. And so then when we did the first one, I said, okay, great. Well, maybe just a couple of episodes and then I'll get used to having conversations and, you know, get a couple under my belt. And, and then everybody loved it and said, no, 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 you have to keep doing what you're doing. And so it's funny because it feels like the hardest choice in doing you know, podcast editing. If you're not familiar, it can be one of the most challenging forms of editing and producing. And, and so, but it's been so great. It's been wonderful to 
have that opportunity to, you know, really be able to blend different guests, you know, together and to uh, really, again, just build a story. Um, a lot of sales is storytelling. And so oh, being able to craft that story has been wonderful and it's so very exciting. So I want to draw another parallel here between our shows, okay? We are in the same industry. You target more interior designers that work for firms, though it's relevant to anyone. I target predominantly furniture sellers and dealers is my predominant audience, which is great, but we're serving the same community in general. And so there's a lot of crossover between what our audience can learn from our different shows, but mine's real easy. I schedule it. I reach out to the guests, say, I'd love to have you on my show. We have a pre-call. Then we schedule a recording and then we hit the record button and 30 to 40 minutes later, we end recording and it goes off to my editor and she takes care of all of the rest of the stuff. I mean, the list of stuff she does for me just makes my job as a the podcaster more enjoyable. Your show is a production. Your show requires, it's like literally the audio version of a TV show because it requires research and it to requires creating this story arc. It reaching out to multiple guests, bringing it in, making sure you got your flow and then taking all of that. That's multiple different clips of audio and marrying it into one cohesive show. Simple and easy. This is me because I, I'm all about the easy button. You're a production, but it has so much value to it. So, I mean, I love what you're doing, but you understand the parallel. I'm doing that a little bit for the listeners. No, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I, I wouldn't say that what you do is easy by any means. I think that having those conversations almost requires more work up front. Um, it requires you to be a really great podcaster, to be honest. And so when I first started out, I, you know, I'm not good at this, so I'll go to scripts. So I, you know, and I would give myself some grace. I'll cut myself some slack. I think we've, you know, I've grown a little bit, but, you know, it definitely, I think however you choose to present the story, whether that's with a great conversation or with a, a really scripted production, both are incredibly powerful. And I think both are entertaining and, you know, people want to, to listen. And so we're, you know, really thankful for the people that have tuned in and uh, have found some inspiration from, you know, the episodes that we've done. And so, yeah. So give us a sneak peek about what's coming up in season two. When does it launch? And give us a little bit of a sneak peek about what's coming up. Absolutely. So season two is launching in January and we have several things on the docket. So uh, one of the things I, one of the episodes I'm- Hang on. If you're watching on YouTube, I want you to look at Caitlin's smile because she is like grinning from ear to ear with excitement. And I hope that you're, if you're listening to us on a podcast player, you can hear the smile because she is grinning ear to ear with excitement about season two. And I absolutely love it, Caitlin. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I'm too, I'm too excited about it. It's really, uh, it's so much fun. Um, I've had such wonderful conversations, even just building into season two. So I'm having them now, right? So in order to prep and to, you know, prepare. And one I just had this week was with Burning Man. Um, We actually, I was able to speak to several urban planners from Burning Man and understanding how this event, this annual event, where essentially, you know, the goal is to create, uh, you know, um, and build a giant man uh, in the center of the desert in Black Rock City and burn it to the ground in seven days. <laughs> um, however, it's been such a source for urban planning and really understanding iterative design. I mean, you have to think about it, the fact that these, this city that's this temporary city that comes up for seven days every year and then immediately goes away the rest of the year, right? 
has this opportunity to play and experiment with adjacencies. Do you put a yoga studio next to a bar? Do the roads need to be four feet? Do they have to be six feet? And every year the urban planners come together at the end and go, okay, what worked and what didn't? And Sid, I've got to tell you, I don't think Chicago, I don't think New York, I don't think that LA could ever have really that opportunity, such a, a you know firmly built uh, architectural landscape. It's really challenging for an established city to, to change even the width of the road or think of how much that has to you know take, how much manpower and money and cost. And this temporary city is able to play with all of those kinds of, you know, things and all of those adjacencies and experiment and ideate on ways to really bring community together. And what does togetherness look like? And, you know, this concept of uh, safety. So really, it's understanding that, you know, there's a, a joke called safety third as an inside joke within Burning Man, uh, because it often tests people to their limits. And it's about experimentation and all sorts of things. And it's got kind of a reputation. However, what I found most fascinating is that we often are designing for all kinds of risk aversion. We, we want to avert any risk in the built environment that we can. And that's wonderful. And it should be done. However, what's interesting with Burning Man is it's not that it's not a safe environment, but that it actually is leaning on the safety and community more than anything else. And so it was a fascinating conversation. I can't wait to unveil more. Um, we are also looking at the power of dreaming, understanding in hotel and hospitality spaces, this universal thing that everybody does is sleeping, right? And so there was an interesting article that just came out in the Times uh, about somebody who understood and tracked dreams through the pandemic. And if they have some kind of universal meaning, and we've gone from dreams being sort of a sacred oracle in ancient times to then the Freudian thought of, you know, well, it's just your subconscious. And now we're looking at it again in this new light of, you know, there's brilliant creative minds who have gotten the ends of their music pieces or the ends of a movie through their dreams. And so could our dreams be leveraged for creative opportunities and creative thought? And if so, how could you biohack and support that in hotels? And I'm specifically looking at the market for like, business travel, right? So Sid, if you're traveling and you're going to New Orleans and you have to speak at a conference the next day, how can you hack your experience in a hotel to fortify, strengthen, and support your cognition and you know support dreaming and support all the things that are going to make you uh, feel supported and ready to go uh, the next day at your conference? That is an amazing question. And I love it. I got a couple of thoughts. I mean, that's just two parts of it. So it's launching in the beginning of January. How many episodes will be in season two? There will be eight. Okay, eight episodes. And the, the one a week? Yes, a one a month. One a month. month. Okay, one the a month. The production time's a little bit more. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that. Production time's a little bit more. Okay, so one a month. And then I was unfamiliar with Burning Man. I think that's fascinating. I love how you're going out and looking at things that are happening. And then you're drawing parallels to our industry and to design, which is fantastic. I'm really curious. Do you know if there's something similar to Burning Man for people who design parking lots? Oh, I don't know. If there is, I'm going and I'm going to show them how to design a parking lot that actually is drivable and then you can exit and that is not so yes. blankety blank complicated yes. to drive through. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking I about. Do. Well, so what I would say is that, fascinatingly enough, yes. there has been a lot of infer, uh, a lot of inspiration for th these things called parklets, and they're they're popular in San Francisco and I think San Diego and more so on the coast. 
but they got their inspiration from Burning Man and understanding how you take this piece of, you know, what would normally be unused space or maybe underutilized space. It's certainly not efficient, right? You're parking a car there for however many hours of a day and then the rest of the time it's empty. And so they played around with this concept of creating parklets. And so you can reinvigorate those, you know, spaces. And so that has been something that has been totally inspired by Burning Man. So, but we should, we should make our own event specifically for parking lots. It'll Listen, be great. Every time I go somewhere with my wife and we're driving through a parking lot, I'm like, who the heck designed this thing? Yeah. Why? Because it's just like, you got to take all these turns just to get out. And all you want to do is leave. And it's yes. just you know, like crazy. Sorry. The we, coolest we thing. Derailed. Oh, we did. No, I, the coolest thing I've ever done in a parking lot though, Detroit had uh, Detroit opera house actually had an opera in a parking garage and it was wonderful. It was the coolest experience I've ever had. And you drive and they, you tune into a station and then, you know, they begin the singing and the production and it was the most alternative opera I've ever seen. So cool. (laughs) That's fantastic. All right. I want to keep going because we, and thank you for sharing your podcast with our community. And I assume we can find it on any of the podcast directories, Apple, Spotify, wherever. All of them. Yes. And do you have a website page for it, Kaylin? Yes, absolutely. So it's kimballinternational.com slash alternative design podcast. All right. We will drop the link to that into the show notes as well so that you guys can uh, find the link directly to our podcast and learn more about it. But a few minutes ago, you mentioned something that I do want to talk about. You mentioned about your journey and you mentioned about encountering a sickness and an illness that paralyzed half your body, which I didn't know that. And I think it's looking at you now and hearing what you talked about your journey and how far you came. But we we talked about this in, in our pre-call, and I think it's really important to highlight for the next few minutes. You called it transparency in materials. And so let's talk about what happened and then why this is such a passion for you. Absolutely. So I personally believe that, and my doctors believe, that uh, one of the contributing factors to my illness was actually exposure to a toxic building. There was an apartment that I was living in at the time that uh, had what we believe now to be black mold. Uh, And so we believe it was a a mid-century high-rise, right, which are beautiful to live in, and it was such a lovely time, but they're they're also known for not being double-paned, and so the condensation and the propensity for mold growth is quite high, um, particularly in those buildings. They're, they're quite prone, and so that space had a lot of black mold, and I knew that from the paint that actually bubbled on the wall, and it was quite tragic and, and very scary, but really understanding the power of buildings on our health and what the built environment can do to our health, both in a positive and negative uh, direction, is something I'm really passionate about because, again, it, it was something that was uh, had a great effect on me, unfortunately, negatively. But that sort of dove me down a rabbit hole of, of understanding, okay, so, so mold isn't good, right? So we want to make sure to not be in a moldy environment. That's not good for anybody's health. But it could also go far beyond that. And I guess my question, you know, as I dug down the rabbit hole a little bit more and I've had a few years, you know, away from that incident in, is understanding what kind of toxins or um, things that would negatively impact our health could be found in the building materials that we're using in the built environment. And what does that mean? And I think a lot of folks would say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Or, you know, hey, there's a threshold, right? There's a parts per million threshold that there has to be for these toxins. And I'll, I'll name a few, just such as phthalates, such as BPA, such as flame retardants and PCOAs. And I mean, long lists of multi-syllable chemicals, right, that are in these products. And 
again, a lot of people might think that that doesn't matter so much or that the exposure isn't uh, chronic, like where you're living is a chronic exposure, but just visiting a public building for 15 minutes may not matter. But studies are proving that that's not the case, that, that even small exposures really do matter. You're able to pick up toxins either by breathing in through the air. You can do that transdermally as well. So even just like what you're sitting on and what your skin comes into contact with, um, there's a lot of different ways that, that you as a human body can come into contact and interface with these chemicals. And, um, it's really just not good. It's not good for our health. It's not good for our bodies. And each body has what's called a body burden and a, a threshold uh, that you, your body has um, when you're exposed to chemicals and to toxins, whether that be in your food, air, or water, right? And so some people have a really high threshold and others have a very low threshold. I do not have a very high threshold. And so for me, it's very important, um, especially when we talk about designing for all, to be thinking of this topic that, that I don't know is necessarily talked about enough. I know that we we are definitely going down the road of health product declarations and C2C and we're, you know, looking at level and all of these sort of um, more transparent certifications, which I think is a wonderful start. But there's this community of, of folks that don't have a very high threshold when it comes to being able to take in toxins that we could design for in a better way. And that, I think, starts with transparency. Designers have a huge power in their specification, the power that they hold to change industry and to demand manufacturers to be more transparent and to stay away from toxic materials, um, stay away from chemicals is huge. I mean, the power is, is in our hands truly. And so it's something that I'm, I'm very passionate about. You know, the CNN just posted in October that, you know, phthalates, they just came out with this big article that phthalates are everywhere and that they have now finally been tied to, um, an early death. It's, it can be quite scary and it's not to scare anybody. I just, right. you know, I think just understanding the, the weight of what we're being faced with, I believe is, is big. And I do believe that we have the power to fight back. I do believe that we have the power uh, of special specification that designers really do have an opportunity to make change. When you talk about transparency, what you really mean is the manufacturers of products for the built environment. So that's anybody. Yes. Build it, manufacturing product to go inside of a building, Absolutely. furniture, carpet, any other type of flooring, lighting, whatever. You want to see clear transparency about the chemicals that make up that product. Absolutely. So that percentages and all that, so that the design community or the specifier community, let's put it that way, because that incorporates a lot of people, could make educated choices about that. Yes. What they're putting into the building, because I've heard about all my career about the sick building syndrome in 30 okay. plus years of however long. I've never met anybody that has been sick because of that, right? And you are a living example that it is real. And sometimes I think is an industry, we talk about things that we don't think really exist, but we talk about them because they sound good or, or whatever. Yes. But this is real. And the health of our employees, the health of the workers in a building is real. And as an industry, we play a role and we have a responsibility to put products out there that are safe for everyone and not just a certain percentage of the of the population. So I just kind of reframe what you said a little. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. I think they're spot on, Sid. And I think it, it really goes into, you know, understanding that that might be more expensive and there might be some costs associated up front and there might be some 
things that might be a turnoff initially, but I think we're having similar discussions about really weighing and, and kind of illuminating this, is it worth it conversation in more than one space in the design industry? So we're talking about that in climate change, right? So that conversation is being had as well. You know, is the initial upfront cost worth being able to, you know, positively impact the environment or to, you know, carbon sequester or to, you know, make that a, a better thing. And so to me, I think these conversations can be found all throughout the industry of trying to convince uh, stakeholders and end users that it's worth it. And again, I think that does take the power of, of a knowledgeable designer who is, you know, educated. And, and the only way they could be educated is by having this transparency, um, you know, with materials, with, you know, um, building materials, especially. And so, yeah, I think it is something that, that we need to kind of dig deeper into. And what I would like to see is, you know, interior designers are not chemists. So the challenge that I see coming down the pike is even if we demand material transparency, right? And I get a whole list of things that I still, that are deemed safe, but I can't pronounce. I can't then make an educated decision because interior designers are not chemists. So my, my challenge, and I think what I'm considering and trying to ideate around is, how would we empower designers to make that decision without requiring them to have a, you know, PhD in chemistry, or, right? Yeah, right. Right. Um, so how, how do we do that to make that an easier process, right? So that that actually becomes a no brainer. Sure. Well, I think to me, the biggest takeaway here is the power of conversation. And in our industry, we need to be having conversations about a lot of things, we need to be having conversations about the future of work, which we are, about the hybrid work model, about transparency and materials. I mean, there's so about sales, about understanding our customers. There's so many things that we need to be having conversations about. But unfortunately, I think too many people put their head in the sand and like, I don't want to talk about this. I'll let somebody else deal with it and I'll just bring my head out. I'm going to keep selling and keep doing what I'm doing. But we have to have conversations because our industry, I believe, is at a turning point. Yes. We're at a place of transition and something or someone or some gadget is going to dramatically transform our industry. And we need to be paying attention. We need to be listening. We need to be participating in those conversations. And honestly, Kaylin, which is why me and you and Amanda and other people host our podcast, do our things so that we can help facilitate those conversations. And there are more people out there that are doing podcasting. I wish every business had a podcast. Yeah, had conversations because I think it is so very important for a variety of different reasons, but it all starts with having a conversation. If we don't have the conversation, we can't expect anything to change and we have to constructively have the conversation. We have to agree. We have to understand going into it that you and I may not agree on a specific issue, but there is a common ground between us. And there's a common ground that's going to make our industry better. It's going to allow us to produce products that are better for our customers that are going to then have a trickle-down effect to the health and wellness and well-being of their employees. So It's worth it. On my soapbox again. (laughs) No, I love it. I think it's worth it. The conversations are are so worth it, even if they're challenging to to have. I, I think that... It is our responsibility, you know, to do that well. And, and we have been, uh, bestowed, I guess, a, a mantle of responsibility <laughs> as designers to, you know, to do that. And so, yeah, I just, I couldn't agree more. I think it's well, well said. listen, it's a great way to end this conversation talking about conversations. And I have, I really enjoyed having you on and learning about your story, your podcast, and then a little bit about your passion around transparency and materials. Kaylin, it has been 
I've been my pleasure having you here. I really appreciate it. January is when the new episodes of the Alternative Design Podcast launch. So, Kaylin, if our community would like to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So you can feel free to reach me via LinkedIn. You can DM me there. I also can be reached by email. I'm at uh, kaylin.reed at kimballinternational.com. And I would frankly, I would love to talk to anybody who would be interested in even being a guest on the podcast or starting these conversations. I, I welcome any and all you know folks that would like to, to chat about some of these important topics or even who has an idea of an alternative message that needs to be brought kind of in the center stage space. So um, Sid, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I've so enjoyed it. Oh, it's my pleasure. So a couple of things here. Those of you that listen, know the rules around LinkedIn. If you reach out to LinkedIn, even for that matter, if you link, reach out by email, please let Kayla know that you heard her here on the Trend Report. That's why you're reaching out. So she knows where you're coming from. We will drop her LinkedIn profile as well as her email address and the website and all that in the show notes. So you have access to it. Again, thanks for um, being here with me today. For all of you listening, go out there and make today great. And we'll see you again next week. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of the Trend Report Podcast. I'm glad that you're here and I hope that you got some amazing value out of today's conversation. For more about our podcast and this episode and our other episodes, please visit my website at sidmeadows.com. We look forward to seeing you next week and go out there and make today great.